0: Bloody Elbow presents the Hey, Not the Face podcast. The show that brings you the business side of combat sports, including contract review, financial analysis, fighter pay issues, and more. Hey, Bloody Elbow podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter, and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Elbow. Facebook at Facebook.com slash blog and as always on BloodyElbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here's your host, John S. Nash, joined by his producer, Steffi Haynes.
1: Hello and welcome. To Hey Not the Face with your host, John Nash, and your producer, me, Steffi Haynes. And today we have a hodgepodge episode. I put together a bunch of questions for John, and I'm just going to throw them at him rapid fire. Are you ready, John? But first, how are you?
2: Well, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> that's that's always that's always throws me for a curve. That's a loop right there. Uh, no, I'm good, fairly good, all things considered. How are you? I'm How's good. the heat in Texas?
1: like a million degrees but it's sprinkled a little bit today so at uh, eleven twenty p.m it's still 84 degrees here
2: wow wow it's you know it's been beautiful in la the last couple of weeks What's not the break right now uh right now it's in the 70s oh my gosh. it's at night sunset so nine eighteen. what is it right now we're gonna we're gonna look at the the app uh programmed over my location uh weather, nope, that's not weather. Uh slowing. Okay, right now it is 72 degrees.
1: Oh my goodness, I'm so jealous. Y'all well, are 12 it's... degrees less than us, and the sun yeah, is it was, still it, out.
2: It got hot during the day up to 90, but it didn't feel that bad.
1: Oh, it was, it was... 106 here today.
2: Well, that's that's unbearable. That's yeah, like you know, that's really like living is. in New Delhi. You don't
1: wanna you don't wanna leave the domicile whenever it's like that.
2: Now, wait till the power goes out.
1: <laughs> oh God knock wood. We've avoided that so far. yeah, All right. yeah,
2: I just I'm sorry, I'm just planting the seed.
1: Thanks a lot, man. Yeah. Mother Nature, don't listen to him <laughs> okay, so let's let's jump right in here, and the first thing I want to talk to you about are sponsor deals, specifically, the UFC sponsor deals with. Crypto or Monster or The the Rock Shoes. I think it's called The Rock Collective or something along those lines. But Tanner Bozer released a video and he just went off on the sponsors that don't pay me a fucking dime. And the thing is, is if I am to understand correctly, judging by your tweets... It's not really on those sponsors. It's on the UFC.
2: I mean, yeah, technically, yeah. We've talked about this in the past a couple yeah. times. I think it's UFC contract sponsors. To go over it again, though, the UFC's deal, the way they have their contract structure with fighters now is the, the fighters um, have no rights to sponsorship at all. They have none. No right to have wear a sponsor in the cage like they used to be able to do. They have no right to uh, wear sponsors during the, the week before. During, during any UFC event, and that includes the week before the lead up to the fight, uh, fight week, they don't have rights to sponsors, but they have what's called uh they, they're they have to wear the the uniform they're given the kit the Reebok kit, right? Venom and they have kit. to, that kit's what's that?
1: It's a Venom kit now, no more oh, Reebok. Venom.
2: Yes, yes, but whatever, <laughs> it's some sort of outfit they wear, yeah, but. <laughs> But on it can be logos of other sponsors, right? And they also have to wear now the, the I think they're like um, sandals or something from The Rock, not his shoes. I, I can't remember what the, what footwear they have to wear on the walkout. But it's The Rock, man. you know, it's his brand. But all that's part of the outfitter kit and outfitter policy. And the UFC fighters are compensated, and I use a little air quotes there, they're compensated by the UFC for complying with all the requirements of the week to get that pay. So they're not originally when it was introduced it was introduced with the Reebok kit and everybody assumed that that imagines that's the pay you get for wearing the Reebok kit for Reebok. Right. But no, really what they're paying you is they're paying you as a bonus for complying with all the rules during fight week, which means wearing all the stuff they tell you to wear uh, showing up and signing the autographs. They tell all the stuff you're supposed to do during fight week, the press, you do all that, you get that payment and that's all bundled together for that. And so, the UFC, they can collect all the sponsor money from the individual, from the the, the whoever does the outfit, from the, the shoes, from the logos they put on the outfits. All that goes to the UFC, and the UFC pays it out to the fighters. Now, the complaint that he has towards some of the sponsors, yeah, it should mostly be directed to the UFC. But when the sponsors sign these deals with the UFC, often they'll sit down and say, here's the percent we want to use to go to the fighters uh, for, for certain sponsorship deals and stuff. That we want the fighters... Like if we came in, let's say we, we wanted to be sponsors for bloody elbow and we, like the UFC would never take us, but let's say they did. And we go, we want to give you a hundred, you know, 1 million a year. So we could have our logo on the cage, but 80% of the money we're going to pay you for having our brand there. But the other 20%, we want to have go to fighters and we want those fighters to show up and do certain things for the, you know, either wear the UFC, the bloody elbow logo or show up to events and, and, uh, and support a bloody elbow. And so we could we could put that in the contract. But, you know, who controls that money? Still, the UFC decides what fighters get it.
1: Wait, so it's subjective then? Well,
2: somewhat subjective. In this situation, the outfit kits, I, the contracts probably state the, that all the money is going to the UFC. They, there might be separate deals. Like the Rock shoes, he might have a deal where portions of the money... Are, he wants certain fighters to get a, you know, to be spokespeople for it, and so they'll, they'll select certain fighters. They'll do individual ads for the Rock's footwear, or show up at events wearing Rock footwear to advertise it, and they'll get some money. But this is kind of this helps the UFC because the sponsors might ask for a fighter, but it's up to the UFC if the 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 fighters gonna be picked for that particular sponsorship, right? And so my understanding is what often happens is the people that deal with the 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 client the the sponsor that contacts the ufc makes the deal they then go to you know they have to go up to dana white or one of the main guys and say here's who we want to use uh here's who our the sponsor wants to use as one of the the fighters to represent their product for uh, from from the ufc and then dana white gives the he says yes or no is he in good with the ufc or no has he signed up this contract we in negotiation with them yes or no and then based on what dana white says then then go to that fighter and say hey here's a deal do you want to show up at this event Or do you want to have this extra logo? You know, do you want to be in a a press marketing campaign or in a commercial for the sponsor? We'll pay you this amount of money.
1: All right. Question. Has the amount of um, showing up and doing things pay increased any since we first saw it roll out with the Reebok deal?
2: Well, they did have an increase. What was it? A year ago uh, for the bottom guys. More from the top. I can't remember. What, I think it's like uh, four thousand. It starts at instead of twenty five hundred for the people that for the the fight week compliance. So it's gone up a little bit, but not a lot. But at uh, the top
1: end is what I'm looking.
2: I at. don't. I don't. I think the top guys are still at forty thousand.
1: So that's the most you can make.
2: That is the most you can
0: make. Yes, but is you 40, are wearing
1: kind of big sponsors like we go back to the golden age of sponsorship you know the the golden age before the sponsor tax you would see guys making threefold what their purses were fourfold what their purses were
2: oh yeah no for most i shouldn't say for most part, for the top fighters it is a huge we've already talked about it, it's a mm-hmm. huge decrease in their pay from sponsorship right. and also hurts them on their outside the cage sponsors because you know who wants to be a sponsor? If you uh, if you're going to sponsor, you know the be an energy drink, and you want to get a UFC fighter as a sponsor. Who wants to sponsor you when the UFC can use your image and all the ads for their energy drinks? That they, that their sponsors are right. So there's a big conflict there, much more than other sports, because UFC has access to the rights to your image in so many different places. So it limits your sponsorship outside the cage, and so a lot of fighters, the top guys. Who used to make hundred two hundred thousand dollars in sponsorship and sometimes you know in huge amounts outside the cage, they've lost tons of money per, from the sponsorship. Now, the bottom guys that could never get sponsorship, they might be doing a little better. The very you know the the very guy in the bottom prelims because they're getting some money here that they before they couldn't get any. And there's a group of fighters. In the middle range, you know, I guess 500, let's say 500 fighters, you know, guys that win, lose, but hang around the UFC for a while. They're doing better because they they couldn't get sponsorship before because they weren't really known fighters. But now the UFC, because they've been around, they can send them out to these events or give them to uh, some of the vendors to be the 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 person that's going to get the sponsor money for being a company man. And so they do better. And often those guys are in certain territories where the UFC is trying to push to keep those fighters happy. You know, that way they can like if you're in the Europe, you know, so no, a typical American fighter probably doesn't have access to a lot of that sponsor dollar. But someone in, let's say, Australia or, or you know, um China or some, well, the China probably, you know, some of the fighters get much bigger local endorsement sponsorship, but, you know, or Europe and s- certain countries can probably get more money from that, from the UFC for those deals than other fighters. But for the vast majority, I should say, especially for the top guys, for the vast majority of the top guys, I mean, we're going to talk about boxing later, I'm sure. I mean, Spence Crawford, we'll get that later, when all those logos you see in the cage on the ring come uh, next Saturday, they get a piece of all that. And that's not how it works in MMA.
1: Let's talk about the quality of sponsor, because again, I'm going to go back for a moment to the golden age and you would see some random watch sponsor and some local tire sponsor or local dealership. You would just see the most random collection. But now the UFC has eliminated all that. You have to, you know, just take what you're given through the Venom deal, whatever, the go out on the road and sign posters deal, but what about the UFC sponsors? Because they're not exactly blue chip.
2: Yeah, they're they're they are not. In fact, uh, UFC for a long time strove to, to improve the quality of their sponsorship and would turn down a lot of sponsorships under the Bertitas. You know, to get major beer. What Budweiser was a major. Was it Budweiser for a major long time?
1: Mm-hmm. Or, Bud yeah, Light. it was actually Bud Light. Bud Light. Um, you're right. Yes, yeah, the famous Burger Brock Lesnar.
2: Yeah. I drink Coors. Wasn't that his comment?
1: Yeah, he drinks Coors, but they had yeah. Bud Light. But their other yeah, big so, blue chip was was Burger King.
2: Yeah, that Burger King. But they were they were out trying to get major sponsorship, and and for, when Endeavor after Endeavor took over, they made a strategic decision that they were not shooting for the A-list sponsors anymore because they were too hard to get. And the A-list were very hesitant being attached to MMA and UFC and they weren't going to pay as much. And they started going after it started when, well, Dana White spoke at the Republican convention in 2016. A lot of fighters were publicly, you know, conservative in the UFC and they noticed Endeavor made this strategic decision. They started going after BC tier sponsorship, um, often run by conservatives because they knew they were easier to get and get more, and those guys were willing to pay more because they were getting access to what they viewed as a major sport, and they could never get into the U- NBA, NFL, any of those. And so they strategically started going after these lower tier. Like I mean, people told me Tier C, they call them. I mean, the the UFC people behind us that does, they're they're open eyed. They know what they're doing. You know, they're they're realistic about it. But they went and got tons of these, and they filled the cage up. And these are the type of sponsors because they're so happy just to be in the UFC because they have access to a limited amount of sports. They can be in. You can start stacking them up and have sponsors that are almost identical. You know, they slightly different. This is. Uh, I can't remember. They have an energy drink and a uh, what are they a power drink or some ridiculous thing. They have a. They have a whiskey and a, and a mixed drink and a and a and a, a vodka and a flavored vodka. Don't they? I mean, they have like tons of brands that are almost identical categories covering the cage and you now people's names but they did that intentionally they went out and got you know and plus sponsors that a lot of other you know weird cryptocurrency stuff that uh, other sports would probably stay away from and so that was their intentional plan and they've gone out and got that they've racked up huge amounts of sponsorship dollars because of that but uh it's uh but again this is the ufc selling going after all these sponsors gathering them up and it's not the fighters are not getting we used to remember they used to say we got we can't we got to clean up we can't have a condom depot in the ufc we but, can't but have, we have uh,
1: trojan now because yes. they had trojan in the cage just this past weekend yeah
2: i mean some of them are I mean, there's some embarrassing uh sponsorship they have <laughs> now but they don't care because they're here to make as much and i can't argue that's the fight business make as much money as possible but before when they're saying they're trying to clean up the sport that was i mean people might have believed it but that was obviously a lie the whole point was they want to make sure the whole point with getting rid of the fighters sponsorship is because that way there's no competition for what the ufc can sell because now the, the people that want to put brands in the ufc can't go to the fighters and get a cheaper deal the only person they can talk to about getting their brand in the octagon is with the ufc
1: And now, these days, you can actually pay to have your own name on that octagon canvas. I mean, they have monetized every single molecule that they can. I mean, I'm so I glad that they imagine.
2: cleaned up the cage. It's it's so much cleaner and tidier right? looking now.
1: I mean, I can't imagine anywhere else they can squeeze money out of. But I'm sure you'll be able to tell me something.
2: Oh but- yeah, they they have plans. I guess they have talked, They have several sponsorship um, uh, deals that they haven't uh, they haven't tapped into. They think I can't remember. There's a list of certain categories they're going to go for that they don't have yet. Oh my! And so they got to push for those. They're going to push to re up or. You know, they're also put for, I think they're pushing for certain premium events to up the charge, you know, so like they're probably not including Connor fights in all the deals now. Now, if you want to be in the cage when Connor fights, you have to pay extra.
1: Would that also apply to someone like John Jones? It probably,
2: I mean, I I don't know the full details yet, but there is, they are trying to, or maybe they're covering out certain spaces. I don't know the full detail, but they want to carve out some of the bigger events because they want those to be premium and get and get more dollars from other sponsors, you know, sell them to other sponsors that might be interested in the bigger events.
1: Now, does Bellator or PFL or One or Ryzen, you know, any of those the, the bigger ones the and those are our big four, do they have sponsor taxes or anything approaching the way the UFC does their sponsor business?
2: Well, Ryzen's a little different. You notice Ryzen events don't have much sponsorship in the cage. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a Japanese, is a different business. I remember talking to some people about that. It's they, they keep it clean. They have certain sponsors for the event, usually on TV, but it's interesting because fighters make a lot of sponsorship in Japan, like their purses in boxing too, like boxing purses might not be as high in Japan. Normally if we talk about Fulton later and in, in a way that's a little different, but normally the the purses are a little, cause they don't, they don't make as much on the TV rights or the gate. They can make some, but, you know, there's not as many big gates in Japan, but they make a fortune in sponsorship. The fighters do. And, and if you're a Western fighter do you come to Japan and become popular, you can make a lot of money in sponsorship. So there's a lot of fighters that are making just a, a ton of money in sponsorship in Japan. Uh, so it's a little different. So the, the fact that the ca- they, they, they don't have it in the cage doesn't hurt or doesn't have it in the ring doesn't hurt the fighters as much because... There's so much. I guess the the fan base is so much more follows the fighters more there or something. I don't. I don't know why. I'm. I don't. I'm not in depth knowledge of the Japanese market, but that seems to be the case. Uh, for for PFL, they they almost have an identical thing to the UFC. Remember, they have they have they have uh, uniforms. Do they not?
1: The yes. The yes, PFL for their does. fighters. So yes.
2: they've done the same program mm. as the UFC, where. One, I'm not as familiar with. Uh, that's a, I don't know the full detail. I know they've, they've, they have a lot of the same rules as the UFC and PFL on the right to have sponsorship. The, the one has complete control over it. Uh, but PFL is very much almost identical to the UFC. Uh, but I don't know if they pay. Uh, the, the, the There's no um, bonus pay that I remember going through that contract with you. I, I got to recall. I don't think there was. Like, no, a, there wasn't. A, a, yeah, Venom deal bonus. So... It's not as good, right there, right now. Bellator is probably the most old fashioned. They, you know, they have the right to ban any sponsor. You have to you have to get approval for all of them. Um, but it's the old school that you are allowed to have your old sponsors. The problem is, if you're not getting the ratings on Bellator like you used to with the UFC, you're not going to get as much sponsorship. So select fighters probably do well. Um, but other fighters, you know, um, and with PFL and Ganu, I got a feeling he's going to make a fortune in, uh, in sponsorship because they've carved out that he's allowed to have his own sponsorship. You know, they, we've talked about that. You, you had an interview with his manager, I think talking mm-hmm. about that. Yep. So he's going to carve out his own sponsorship and he's got so much attention now. That even the PFL not getting the ratings UFC he's he's just gonna get a lot of money because it, his profile is ready to skyrocket with the fury the upcoming Fury fight.
1: All right, let's cruise into some more fuckery <laughs> and let's talk about Ari Emanuel specifically his involvement in the SAG after a strike and how differently he is treating the actors he represents. From the fighters (laughs) over here in the UFC, which is actually the big breadwinner of Endeavor.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it this was talked on Freakonomics a while ago. As we go through, I think it's a buffet of choices of questions we're going to go through here today. It sounds like so, but for this one, it's um, Freakonomics. They they mentioned it. It was infuriating because they mentioned it when in a portion of the show when they weren't talking to Ari instead of bringing it up to him, because this would be something interesting to, to, to bring up for him to talk about. But um, Endeavor, they're one of the major talent agencies, right? And they represent major A-list actors and directors, and they're out there trying to get them the biggest deals possible. And they claim they're in support of the strike of they're, they're, they're actually in between are they're, they, they're on the side of their talent at the same time, but they also are a producer, a product. So, I think they're just as much on the side of the the, the producers as well, the 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 association of uh, motion picture uh, studios. But uh, that's, uh, you know, there, there's some conflicts of interest, and in, in a lot of actors and you know filmmakers are aware of this. But they are often out there trying to get the best deal possible for their talent, like The Rock, as much money as possible, and they also represent a lot of pro athletes football players, basketball and baseball, where they're out there trying to get as much money as possible for those guys and are are standing up to the owners. Now, when they deal with the UFC and WWE, they have the opposite position. They own the sport. So where other sports athletes, where they can get them a lot of money, they represent the athletes and try to get them as much money as possible. But in a sport like bull riding, the fake sport of professional wrestling, and then UFC, where they can control the whole sport, Instead of representing the athletes, they buy the sport and then try to limit pay as much as possible. So it it it's uh there is some uh, there's a dichotomy there that's a uh, a little interesting, I guess you could say.
1: All right, with Ari, <clears throat> since he represents The Rock, as you mentioned, and The Rock has shoes inside the UFC, I have a question here. Yes. Did the is there any um, probability that maybe the rock isn't uh paying as much to the UFC for for those shoes to be on those feet because oh, he is yeah, a, like maybe it's a there's some trade going on there, you know, I don't know how that works. I'm just curious about that.
2: I mean, it's a possibility considering they're partners and they could be like, well, we're, we're going to cut you a deal and we're in a mutual, this is a mutual great beneficial agreement. We will give you a deal with the UFC. You can pay this much. Maybe we'll give you. You know, like uh, here's who's here's the competition bidding. We'll, we'll agree to yours for slightly less for the this deal because we want to nurture this uh, project with you because we have future projects and we're gonna get a piece of it. And for all we know, and I mean, I don't know. Maybe back in deep within the books, Endeavor might have a piece of this. Uh, that deal. that
1: was gonna be my next question is, could Endeavor have a piece of those shoes? cuz that yeah, I mean, seems to be a real sticking point with a lot of the athletes and I, I it's the most curious sponsorship to me.
2: Yeah i mean it's possible they have the or they they have a they have a finder's fee for making the connections and stuff so there's a possibility that they have a an interest in making the deal for him because they have a finder's fee commission that comes with making the deal and so that's you know they can double bill that way so there's i mean there's just multiple ways this could be working out i mean that's one of the reasons why You know, they had an announcement that ESPN is talking to the NBA and NFL about giving them equity uh, part ownership of the network to sign with them for less money than because they're paying so much out in rights fees, right? (laughs) Well, you know, that's that could be great for the NBA and NFL because the owners then would own a piece of ESPN, and as ESPN's value increased, they would get more, their value, you know, their, their net worth would increase. But for like the NFL, the players, there going to be some, there's going to be some discussions about what piece of equity we get because our collective bargaining agreement calls for us to get a portion of the revenue and we get paid based on that portion of the revenue. And the biggest piece of revenue we get is the TV deals we sign. And so it's in our interest for you guys to go out and get the biggest TV deal possible. And if you're out cutting deals that are smaller than the biggest TV possible because you get equity, that hurts us. And so in many ways, that's kind of the – you could say the same with the UFC. The fighters, uh, even though the promoters have no fiduciary responsibility to the fighters, the idea of the fighters is like, well, you're you're giving up, let's say, a, a sponsor that was willing to pay us uh, and these Reebok kits or pay us more for one that's not because you get a commission for signing the deal and you get more revenue. So, you know, it's uh, – again, the UFC, it's interesting because – Endeavor is really strong advocates for their clients when they're high-paid athletes in other sports, but they're the exact opposite when they're dealing with their own athletes in the sports that they control.
1: Let's talk about Bob Iger for a second. Bob Iger is the CEO of Disney, and Disney owns ESPN, and they own ABC News. I know they don't own ABC outright, but they own a significant portion of it. Um, what is Why is he so important here, though? Because I saw a podcast on YouTube and they were talking about this retreat, this tech retreat that Bob Iger went on a week and a half or so ago and how he was basically chopping up Disney um, properties for like a, a a fire sale of sorts. But one thing that caught my interest was they talked about um, Bob Iger saying that he wanted to quote, find a partner for ESPN, what the heck does that mean? And how integral is Bob Iger to UFC operations, if at all?
2: Well, first of all, I think I think uh, Disney does own ABC still. I think it was Fox that they got a portion of oh, because okay. the whole the remember the whole Fox deal where they bought 20th yeah. Century Fox, and Rudolph uh, the Murdochs kept the the news sprint side of it, but okay. got rid of the film and a lot of the entertainment side. That's why how Disney Plus now has The Simpsons. And the yep. FX channel is on Disney. So uh, Disney, yeah, they own a lot of stuff. Um, it's sad because and now we're going to go on a tangent a little bit because I'm in the entertainment industry. And this is something I've been bitching about for well over a decade. Uh, people on Twitter might know about my hostility to the studio system, the way it works. Uh, Fox, everybody goes nuts for Bob Iger. He is one of the people that put the the studio system in the problem they're at. Because in their attempt to make sure that movies never lost money to make because that's one of the problems with film is there's a risk and no one wants to lose money. And so Disney had the genius idea we're going to have no risk. And so we started making just Marvel movies, Star Wars movies and remakes of Disney brands. Right. So every movie was a guaranteed built in audience and would never lose money. But what they did is because those movies were so popular and that's that's a problem with the audience and where they didn't want to take risky film. But they had the leverage too because those movies are so popular and they had so many of them. They could say you have to give up screen space, right, to our big movies, our Star Wars movies, or every year you have to give up tons of screen space, or our um, Marvel movies, and they could hog up huge chunks the, the multiplexes. So if you wanted to go see a movie, often you couldn't because they would be taking up all the screens, pushing out smaller movies that needed more time. On top of that, they were spending all the ad rev, all the advertising money. So the only movies you were aware of were their movies, and so people that liked more, you know, old fashioned type movies of different genres, st- they lost. They no longer were in the habit going to the movie because they got sick of these types of movies. So Disney was making a fortune, but they were killing the rest of the industry. And now that their movies look like they might be struggling, now they're like, oh, oh, the industry's got to change. No, you you salted the industry. You're the guy that did all this. Mm-hmm. So that's my pet peeve on it. That's my rant for Bob Iger and other things, too. He screws over actors. He caved into China. And that's part of the reason the film industry is so bad is because we were making movies for China more than America. Uh, just on and on about that guy. And, and now that I've gone through the rant, I, I forgot what even the question was.
1: Oh, the question is, is about finding a partner for ESPN because he was quoted as having said that and about shaving off pieces of Disney for sale. Basically, I want to know how important he is or isn't to UFC operations. Like, does he have any sway? Like, could he like come down and say something and the UFC would have to acquiesce?
2: Oh yeah. He has a lot of power because he dictates stuff and, and his, you know, it's, it's a little scary. And again, because of the way they ran the industry and because they got so, they went so much into streaming, they basically killed the, uh, uh terrestrial services that they, they could have gone much longer than they did. So yeah, the ABC channel might get rid of the, the Disney cable channel, they might drop, you know, a bunch of stuff they consider not, there's no growth margin for, they're looking for stuff in the future that will grow. And so they want to dump those the uh, for ESPN, the cost is that the the cost of sports has risen so much that it's in uh, they just can't keep up. It makes it hard to make it affordable. So they have on one hand, they have people cutting cords. you're not making all the money you made and cable actually paid more. They now realize than than streaming does. They're losing all the they're losing all the cord cutters. but the streaming service, again, like I said, isn't paying as much isn't making them as much. So. But the, the what the 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 big major sports is asking for is so much they're they're they are they they do not know how they can possibly afford it. So the question is this is where this could come back and kind of hurt the UFC. The UFC uh, has it. it can't, they basically want one and a half to two times or more what they're getting right now on their next deal, right? This current deal pays I think you know with the pay per view. Uh, With the pay-per-view deal and the the streaming about 500 million a year. So you're talking about 750 to a billion dollars a year they want from the American domestic streaming and, and, uh, and broadcast. Well, that might be too much for ESPN (sighs) Uh, up till now. I know that ESPN has been very happy with the pay-per-view deal. They've been making money, but if you double the price you're asking for that, I don't know if that's a a money-making deal. And so for, endeavor they got to worry about is espn going to match their price of course they're they're obviously making you know they've alluded that they can go to amazon or some other uh streamer it's we'll have to wait and see but for espn the the partner i think they're talking about is basically bringing on the major sports teams leagues and saying we're going to bring you on as a partner we'll pay you less and give you equity but that way to make it more affordable for broadcasting a major sport
1: wow all right i'm gonna divert again to a new topic. I need to know which fighters, if any, do you think could make it outside the octagon the way Francis did? And you cannot say Connor McGregor. Has to be anybody b- besides Connor. We already know Connor could write his own deal on the outside. I want to know if there's anybody else that could even approach what Francis did.
2: Well, pro, well, approach is, a, that's the hard part. Approaching it's going to be very difficult for anybody else. Man, we're going just curves left and right. Everyone questions a completely different direction, throwing me off here. But for uh, <laughs> for this one, yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you, if someone, first of all, to exit the octagon, I'm going to imagine that they can also fight MMA instead of just boxing. Because only a select group of fighters can really go into boxing and make money, and make serious money. And that was, you know, uh, Dia, Nate Diaz can do it, because there's some. There was always been talk of him fighting Jake Paul. There seems to be interest in there. McGregor could do it, and and, and gone. All that stuff is not being orchestrated, and, and the audience isn't being manipulated. There seems to be some interest in the public themselves for those fights happening, those boxing matches. That's why Usman, there was no no interest in C numbers Canelo because the the public had no interest in that fight. So very select, but I can't imagine any other fighters that could leave the UFC and have success in boxing, except for maybe, you know, Jorge Masvidal, but I think his moment has passed. I don't think he could do that anymore. And like I said, you can't bring up Connor, but I, okay. But if people could get out of their contracts right now and leave the UFC, mm-hmm. who could find success? I think the number one would be John Jones okay. because yes, there's not many promotions. There's no one like the UFC, But there is Francis Ngannou out there and everybody I've talked to think that's a a massive fight, UFC involvement or not, that you could put that on without the UFC and still sell just an absolute ton of pay-per-views and pay both those guys the the Deontay Wilder money that uh, John Jones was asking for a while ago. Uh, and of course they would, they would negotiate, the two would have to negotiate a boxing deal, which I imagine they would, where they get almost all the revenue that the promoter gets a very small cut of it and they get to keep most of it. He's one for sure. The other one I'm going to throw for a curve, I think, uh, two 135 pounders could uh, do good. And that's, um, Sean O'Malley and, uh, Aljamain Sterling Mm. in some ways, Aljamain Sterling better because I don't think Aljamain not like a major draw. But he's kind. Of, he's leaked what he makes in the UFC. Didn't he say he makes like four hundred thousand dollars, yep. five hundred thousand as a champ in that ballpark? Yep. Plus pay per view, and but pay per view kicks in at like two hundred thousand, and he, the most he ever sold was like two hundred fifty thousand. So he's not making outrageous amounts of money. Uh, if he left, yes, he's not a major star. But if he could just walk out of the UFC while still the champ, having haven't haven't, haven't uh, if he hasn't lost the belt, and you know just threw it back to the UFC. I could imagine even though Bellator, you know, their financial problems are going to be bought by someone else, a Bellator with their roster, he's the type of fighter when you look at what they pay their fighters uh, three, four times what he's currently getting is not outrageous. Maybe even, you know, two, two million or more while he's still the number one guy at 135 does not seem like in a ridiculous amount he could get paid, which is, you know, it's not a money, but it's better than what he's getting.
1: I'm gonna ask you two names because th- these were the two names that popped into my head. Israel Adesanya.
2: Yeah, Israel is a little harder because he does get a pretty high paycheck for MMA from the UFC while champ, and I think his base started like four or five million guaranteed, and then it can, you know with a lot of paper of his sales can go up to six or seven million. That's you know that's the word on the street. Uh, the problem is he, there's no opponent, in him in boxing, there's no interest in him to go box. Right. And there's no, so you can't do that. And there's no, he's making that much in the UFC, but there's no opponents outside the UFC you could really sell. And so that would be a problem. In fact, in some ways, I think uh, like a Volkanovsky would do, (laughs) would have, you have a better option with him because (laughs) I don't know what his new deal, but what his deal was before, you can imagine him going into uh, Australia, holding an event, and from the keeping the gate and keeping the Australian pay-per-view for himself, making more there than he would in the UFC. But for Adesanya, it's uh, – without the opponents, it's – there's just no one outside the UFC I can imagine drawing that well enough that would make it worthwhile.
1: Okay. Well – um, All right. (laughs) My other one is way out of left field and very, very likely to never happen. But if she were to come back, would Ronda Rousey be able to do something on the outside? Like if she were to come back to MMA and she shopped around, would she be able to do as well?
2: Yeah, for one simple fact, I think you could still put on a cyborg fight. Okay. And uh I don't think it would sell as well as it would a few years ago. I mean maybe it would, because you never know. Things just take off the weight. I mean, but you went off on two losses. So the best would be bring her back, throw her in against uh someone she could beat, and then and then book the cyborg fight. But you I, I imagine if you could you could probably sell a cyborg fight against her now and then do well enough that um she she would make as much, if not more, outside the UFC. Now, if we had done if during the, the the peak of her fame and she just walked out of the UFC and went and fought, her and Cyborg met somewhere to fight, uh, I think she would have made a lot more.
1: All right. Now, Sean Strickland did an interview just a couple of days ago with Helen Yee, and he made a really valid point that title challengers don't make shit. And I quote, Maybe enough for a lift kit for a truck or enough to upgrade a Hyundai Accent. It is not LeBron James money, he said. I want you to talk a little bit about that misconception that if you are a title challenger and you're in there fighting for a belt and you're not holding that belt, that one, you just automatically get a gigantic purse And two, you automatically get points because you're in a title fight. So many people believe that. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today.